This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. <laughs> okay, everyone. Shalom, shalom. I'm Rabbi Yom Tov Glazer, uh, born and raised in Southern California. I left uh, the um, system at 11 years old and moved to the streets for 12 years uh, when I learned a tremendous amount about life. And I took all of that kind of street knowledge and and I applied it. Well, later I came here because I obviously don't look like a street kid from California. But uh, later I came here to Israel and developed uh, myself Jewishly because I was born Jewish. And, and I, I gathered lots and lots of knowledge here. Thank God for the last 20, this June will be 28 years, which is amazing. And, uh, and I've kind of put it all together in this kind of cosmic Kabbalistic psychedelic expression of of life, and it's really celebratory, like in a big way, like a lot of celebration going on always in my home. I've raised my kids in this kind of environment. I have Hasidic kids with all the black hatitude and Yiddish speaking, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they're like the coolest kids in the world and musicians, and and uh, they themselves are are uh, delve into the the, the depths of, of spiritual you know, spiritual attainment and stuff like that. My wife is like my ultimate partner and, and fellow healer in life. And we're both uh, very ceremonially together all the time, just the two of us in all night experiences that just we'll do together. And I lead others on these types of uh, journeys. And, and I've, anyway, I've been at this for many years and I started a, a seminar based on the psychedelic experience I started it uh, 18 years ago. It's called The Possible You. And I've been leading that now for 18 years. I have 8,000 graduates, uh, people from all over the world. And uh, my next one's in Muncie, actually. I've got one in Muncie, New York. Feel free to join it. Uh, there will be one in June 2nd. There is still room to, to uh, register for that. It's uh, four, four intensive days. Bring tissue. <laughs> and you, you just cry your eyes out Com- completely and totally. We're talking like fetal position, full primal scream. <laughs> At one point of the seminar, it's pitch black, and everyone's in full primal scream. Like just, just get it out already. And, and then walk into the life of pure experience. Because in the end, if you think about your body, like your body was made to experience. And you're literally lined. Every millimeter of you is lined with sensors. Of, you know, and they're really pleasure sensors. And, and some parts even have more nerve endings, like your eardrums and your eyes and your, and your, your palate, your tongue, your, your uh, and I'm not just going to talk about other nerve endings in the body, but we're, we're like, we're built, we're built for this. Like, God made us this way. Like, we're the creator created us for our pleasure, ultimately. And uh, maybe, maybe later... I'm going to speak to you again later. I think I'm your last class as well. So, so then we'll talk even more about how to maximize pleasure because there are actually five categories, and the ones all the ones I just mentioned are the fifth class. You know, on an airplane, all the way to first class, all those ones lining our bodies are fifth class pleasure. But you can actually go higher and higher and higher up these classes of pleasure to the ultimate like transcendent attainment, which is the first class pleasure. That's like the highest. And that's what we're all here for. I mean, we're having this class like right across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And that's because we all realize that there's something much higher. Today, what we're going to do, and I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on because we're going to go into some Kabbalistic study. 
So I'd like to share with you some of the like real kernels of Kabbalah, so that you, um, so that you have the, these standard basics in Kabbalah. These are real important, and and everyone should have these. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who they are. They should know these six points. So we're gonna we're gonna do those six points together. I did bring my guitar, but I, I we'll see if the guitar comes into all of this. Mm-hmm. It's probably more for the pleasure class than this class. Did I make a brook on this? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Did someone write, I am always happy on this board? <laughs> it looks like. You know, it's, a, it's not a good statement. I am always happy. You know why? Because it's not true, number one. It's not true, and if you make it a goal, you're going to wind up way less happy because you keep blowing it as a goal. The goal is never happiness. The goal is meaning. Meaning brings great depth to our experience of life. And so if happiness is the goal, well, good luck. But if meaning is the goal, there's a lot of that. And, and that may bring happiness, but you're not always going to be happy. And when someone's fish dies, they're not happy. Unless, of course, they're fishing. And then they're happy. Now, here we go. There's six steps we're going to take. Um, you're gonna, I hope you had some coffee, because not because it's boring, but just because you're going to need your brain in like tip-top shape for the first two. For the first two. Okay, the first step is, um, is uh, I'll just use text messaging here. Before there was something, what was there? What was there before something? Before the before there was before there was something there was nothing. Everyone say that together. Before there was something there was nothing. Okay, and and this is universal. Everyone agrees. Before there was something there was nothing. That's why in every university they have a department called theoretical physics. Theoretical physics is basically we want to know because it's not possible that nothing made something because nothing makes what nothing. And so since it's known that before there was something, there was nothing, I mean, before the universe expanded, there was nothing. And so since it's impossible that it's truly nothing, so they have a department in university called theoretical physics whose job is to figure out what is the nothing that created the something. Clear? And they, they like that department, by the way, because you get to work there forever. Because it's, first of all, you can hear it in the title, theoretical physics. I Meaning you can just keep throwing theories for, for your entire lifetime if you're a professor there. And the reason it always remains theory is because for it to not be theory, you would need an instrument of measure. To know something, you need to measure it. And so in science, we're used to science that measures things. But tell me, is there an instrument of measure that measures something outside space and time? No, because the instrument of measure would also have to be where? Outside space and time. Now, there's always, you know, you might meet, like, your old uncle who says, ah, they're going to figure out what it was, you know, we don't have to believe in God, you know, because science is eventually going to figure this one out, too. You can't say that when science has gotten nowhere with something. When they've developed, like, for example, the cure for cancer, I believe they're going to do that because they've gotten places, really have gotten a lot of places. Very few people are even dying now from cancer compared to who was dying before. So they've gotten somewhere. Tell me, how far have they gotten in creating an instrument that measures outside space and time? How's nowhere? How's nowhere? I mean, the best you can do for measuring something outside space and time is to go meet a shaman in, like, Arizona or something. Maybe 
you can measure something outside space and time with him. But don't expect it in a laboratory. They've gotten nowhere, and therefore saying that science is somehow going to figure this thing out is, is, uh, is naive. It will always be theoretical. Now, before there was something there was together? Nothing. Nothing. And what does nothing make? Nothing. Nothing makes nothing. And now, oh, you know what I'll do with you guys? I'll do the four-second proof of God. You ever heard of proof of God in four seconds? No. That's a lot of fun. It's only four seconds. Listen up. <laughs> Before there was something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, and now there's something, it must be that nothing was God. That was not four seconds. Let me do it again. Before there was something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Got it? Got it. Before there was something, there was? Nothing. And since nothing makes? Nothing. Nothing. And now that there's something, something it must be that the? Nothing. Was God. Okay? And now, by the way, what does that word God mean? In this case. Something. Well, nothing. You mean, meaning we've got, as Jews especially, you have to totally deconstruct everything you've ever thought about God. The word G-O-D is just a symbol for something that can make, is a symbol for nothing, that can make something from nothing. Meaning if suddenly, what's your name? If suddenly Ben could make something from nothing, what are we going to call him? God. That's the dis- that's the title you give a being that can make something from nothing. It's never been pulled off. No one's ever made something from nothing. Except this entire creation came from nowhere. Which is amazing. And so and so that's what we call God, but that doesn't make you religious. That all that does is make you all that does is give a title to a being. That can make something from nothing. And by the way, who says it's even a being? We just know whatever it is or ain't did it. But we can go deeper into this. So before there was something, there was nothing. And that nothing is what Judaism calls God. Judaism calls the nothing God. And again, that doesn't mean anything. It, it, I think the religions of the world made it mean something. And it could be your Hebrew school, school teachers made it mean something. But in true Kabbalistic tradition, it's the ineffable. It's, it's, you cannot, there's no concept, concept of it. Your brain could never get around it. Your mouth could never, uh, could never say it. All those, you know, all the names we use for God in Hebrew? Like Baruch Atah, and then Ado, and then Noi, and then Elo, and then Heinu. All those names, Melech, King, all, all those names, they're all verbs. All those names are verbs. They're just how God's doing stuff. Like the Baruch Atah Hashem name is how God causes existence. It's the expander name. Expansion. Sorry, I can't search the web on Apple Watch. It's the expander name. And... And then there's, okay, that's, that's so, before there was something, there was nothing, nothing is what we call God. Now, what is God? We have no idea. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody. In fact, the more you study what it is, the less you know about it. Let's say, for example, uh, whomever, I don't know, uh, this guy looks kind of Kabbalistic. What's your name? Right there? What? Uh, Julian. Julian. Let's say you guys are up on the spot this weekend. And after Shabbos and Svat, Julian's like, that's it, I'm staying. 
I got to figure out who God is. And there's no greater place to figure out who God is than Sfat, because that's where all the Kabbalists are from. And anyway, so what happens is this whole group has a 50-year reunion, and you all decide you're going to go find Julian in Sfat. <laughs> so, like, you're walking through the, the romantic, Kabbalistic streets of Sfat. You know, it's a mystical city. I don't know if you guys have been there. I mean, it's way out there. So you're going down the streets of Sfat, and someone told you, you're all like, where's Julian? What's your Hebrew name? Aviv. You're, you're, everyone's like, you know, asking everyone, have you seen Julian? What's your last name? Kamovich. Does anyone know, does anyone know Julian Kamovich? And everyone's like, there's no Julian Kamovich living in Sfat. And then they're like, Kamovich? You mean Harav Aviv Kamovich? <laughs> and you're like, that's the one. Ken. And so they tell you the address. You get to the address. You like, you see like a beard outside the door <laughs> on the street of Spot. So you all like one of you like just grabs the beard and says, <laughs> throughout the whole house, down the hall, you know, into the basement, candle lit, and finally up up this desk and right onto Aviv's chin. Seventy. How old are you? Fifty years from now. Seventy-three years old. He looks up from his manuscript, and his eyes are like spinning around like, like this. And he sees the whole group, and he's like, "Guys!" And you all say to him, "You all say to him, like, who is God? Who is God?" And Aviv looks at everyone and says, "I have no idea." <laughs> Because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. You don't know. And it's a very mature place we come from. And the only reason there's even a Judaism is because we have, we have a book that came from prophecy. If we didn't have Torah, a prophetic document, we wouldn't even know what to do with it. What would you do with a being that you can't even get a concept of and have a relationship with it? You know, like when you get to know someone, you're like getting to know them and then there's a relationship. There's no getting to know God. So how do you ever do that? Now, we do have a book of prophecy. So we can like go off the prophecy and follow the prophecy's path towards it. Like I'm living prophecy right now because there, there was a prophecy. And so when I'll be keeping Shabbat this week, it's because of the prophecy of the book. And, and these cosmic dental floss, in the book of prophecy, it mentions wearing a four-corner garment. If you have a four-corner garment. If you don't, you don't need them. But if you do, so you got these. So like, for example, I don't know. If you guys wear these. But if you wear a poncho, guess what? It requires tzitzis. So Jews aren't allowed to wear ponchos unless they put tzitzis on them. In the paid olive band in New York, on cold days, they go in ponchos and there's tzitzis on their ponchos. This really cool band in New York. We're about to do a world tour. So they'll, they'll, they'll be here shortly. They may, may be watching this, although they're probably asleep knowing a rock band. You know, they're probably fast asleep. So in New York. Um, okay, so before there was something that was done, nothing's what we call God. We have no idea what God is. This is total like deconstructionist philosophy on God. We don't know what it is. But there are two things we do know. And the one thing that we know is that it's one. That it's one. Why do we know it's one? Can you have two nothings? What if you multiply nothing by 30? It's nothing. So once it's nothing, meaning if really before there was something, there was nothing, well, it's, in, it's 
indistinguishable. It's undifferentiated oneness. You get that? So this is what Judaism means when it says the word one, when it says God is one. It's a different kind of one. It's not like there's one, like we're here and there's one out there. That's softcore monotheism, the belief in one God. Nowhere in Judaism does it say there's one God. Nowhere in our entire Torah. The whole book of the prophecy never mentions that there's one God. It says that he is one. And that's not a one versus two. That's, he, it's, it's, he is. What does it mean someone is something? It means their essence is undifferentiated. That's all it means. That it's an undifferentiated oneness. Notice that when we declare that oneness, what do we do with our hands and our eyes? We cover our eyes. When we declare that oneness, saying Shema. Now, I'd like all of us to just do a little meditative exercise for a moment. Everyone close their eyes a moment. And you'll notice that it's dark for sure, but you notice there's some light. Those who have been taking interesting things lately might be seeing other kinds of patterns. Now, now take your right hand and press some... Press your hand against your eyes tightly, and you'll notice that you really got to the oneness now. Because now you really see nothing, but that nothing has no distinction. This is the definition. Breathe while you do this. Take deep breaths. This is the definition of, of nothing, or oneness, or the oneness of nothing, or the oneness of God. This is as close as you can get to understanding it when declaring God's oneness. Okay, one more deep breath. Release the breath. Release the hand. And then open the eyes. We're doing that every time we say Shema. By the way, the cosmic dental floss, the four corners, that men actually who wear these, it's a men commandment. I could explain why, but you want to kill me afterwards. It just has to do with the nature of men. And the, uh, we, put, we hold it all... In the, on the webbing of the left hand, we unite the four corners because those represent north, south, east, west, which is the world of distinction, the world of multiplicity. And then we go to the oneness with the right hand. So it means we're doing a physical act of oneness right there. By the way, what, what I meant was you're going to kill me because now I probably made you curious of what these sitsis are. These sitsis are to remind men that the girl you're staring at is some guy's daughter. Have mercy. Have mercy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're for. They're for. They're really meant for mindfulness on the Kabbalistic level. But on you know, there's many levels of Torah. So on the surface level of it, it's sensitivity to uh, sexual sensitivity and respect. That's what it's made for. But on the Kabbalistic level, it's about it's really about mindfulness. That you would that you would realize that to be aware of your awareness. That's on the Kabbalistic. But the but that the uh, the bottom line is sexual sensitivity, and women have been notoriously more um, more sensitive sexually. At least before birth control, they were more sensitive sexually than men, and were not required to wear these things. Um, and the, and the reason they were more sensitive about it was because because historically, they th- their their sexuality was their key to be taken care of for the rest of their lives. And so it was not available until the insurance policy was put on the finger. For this was for thousands of years. This is how it went. You know, so women. So because thousands of years, women knew the great secret of making sure you don't live your life alone. Because for thousands of years, they knew that they never wore the sitzes. 
Men, on the other hand, were jerks and needed the zitzis to remind themselves that's somebody's daughter. You know, go, you want her? Go speak to him. Go talk to him. Go show your man enough to take care of her the rest of your life, as well as he did. So, the, um, okay, so that's the oneness. The second thing we know about God, it's really funny because it's absolutely nothing, so how do we know anything? Well, this, you get it. Like, intuitively, you get it. It's oneness. You, you just experience it yourselves. And then the second one is that whatever that nothing is, it knows what it's doing, which is called intelligence. I'm just calling it intelligence because it's, it's really not. It's nothing. But it sure the hell seems to know what it's doing. Because nothing, the propensity of nothing is to remain nothing. But in this case, this thing, this nothing has intention. This nothing has expanding ability because we're in an expanding universe. But even cooler, this nothing not only can expand, but it can, what? Contract. Meaning it can, what happens the more expansion, the more chaos called entropy. But yet our world doesn't just expand into entropy and total chaos, but it actually has this coagulating effect of order. That name of God, by the way, that gets a name. Because if we have an expanding name, the Yud and the Hay and the Vav and the Hay, that's the expander name. So we have another name that's the contractor name. You know what that name is? It's on every doorpost of the mezuzah. It's Shin, Dalet, and Yud. What's the word Dai mean in Hebrew? Stop, stop or enough. Stop, enough, stop, enough, stop. It's the name, stop, enough. And the word she is a prefix. She, that, it's enough. And so the name Yud and Heim, Vav and Heim is what's causing our universe into existence. And the Shin, Dalet, and Yud, that I'm not, you notice I'm not pronouncing any of these names, I'm being careful with the names. So the Shin, Dalet, and Yud, that it's enough, is causing the, the order. So, if, like, for example, just for a crazy thought, if God were to take the Shin, Dalet, and Yud out of creation, meaning he just took that name out, this whole room would turn into a blender. What's causing you, what makes you, you and not her, is the Shin, Dalet, and the Yud. That's what's causing distinctions in creation. So our earth is not just part of the soup of chaos, but our earth is, is in its distance from the sun, with this ozone layer, doing its orbits and and everything is set up that's the shin dalad and yud so in other words whatever the nothing is it knows what it's doing now i'd like to share with you a little digression that i think might be important for you and and what i'm trying to do constantly is deconstruct god for you because you all grew up hearing that word over and over and over again and it's just not the jewish definition of it because we don't have a definition and that is that Gentiles always used God to answer question marks, meaning they understood almost nothing about the world. Science was not yet existing. The world was mysterious. And every time there was a question mark, what would they put there? God. And so with the scientific revolution the last few hundred years, is every time they answered a question of those mysteries of science, meaning they became known facts, what did they no longer need? God. But Judaism, our relationship with God has nothing to do with mysteries of our physical world around us. That's not our answer. God is not an answer to a question of, I don't understand this world. 
God is just God, whether we understand this world or we don't understand this world. What's the word for world in Hebrew? Olam. Practice Hebrew, everyone. Olam. What's the word for hidden in Hebrew? Olam. Ne'elam. Okay? Something hidden or, or uh, there's a better word for it. But the, the what? Concealed is olam. Like if someone loses their keys, they say, Ne'elam li hamaftechot. My keys are, are hidden from me. They exist. They're just concealed right now because I don't know where they are. So the word for world, the word for world in Hebrew is the same exact word for concealed. Why? Step five. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Is there a Home Depot in heaven? What did, God, did, did God go to Costco? Did God go to Costco? There, all there was, all there was, was this, whatever this consciousness was of God. We know it's some kind of consciousness. So that's all there was. What did, where did it go to create the world? Meaning, if, uh, I'll ask you like this, and now you've got to answer. If all there was was God, what did God use to create the world? Both are perfect, because that was an excellent answer, both of them. If all there was was this being that we've called God, what did God use to create the world, if that's all there was? God. So what does that mean? That means before there was something, there was nothing, which we call God. Now that there's something, what is this made of? It's made of God. And there's a term for that in spirituality. It's called divinity, the divine. Did you know that the divine is not God? You ever thought about that? Something that's got divinity, like you have divinity in you. You're divine. But you're not God. You're just divine because you're of God. Divinity is the God hidden inside of everything. That's divinity. Something that's divine. You know what I mean? It's not God, but it's, it's got God in it. So, like, Godly? Or... Godly, very good, yeah. Godly is perfect. So, here we go. For number five, it's that we, we meaning the physical world, are what? We are it. It made the world out of itself. So, therefore, this physical world is ultimately of it. So this is ultimately the divine. This is the divine world. Now there's a name of God for this too. There's a name of God for the divine. You know what it is? Elohim. You know that name? It's pronounced with a hey. Elo and then him. Now what's yud and mem at the end of a word? Plural. Plural. You ever thought about that? We got a plural name of God. What kind of monotheist has a plural name of God? But we have a plural name of God because God is creating the world out of himself. So how God is hidden inside of all physicality, inside this water, inside this, this stender, inside your seat, inside the fibers of your clothing, inside your skin, inside your heart, all of that is called Elohim, how God's hidden inside of all things, the divine. So now you understand, I'm sure you all were asking this question, you were on your flight over here and you're like, you know, the one question I can get answered while I fly to Israel, I mean, when I get to Israel, is why are there two names of God in every bracha? Baruch Atah Hashem, that's the expander name. And then what's the next name? Elo 
And then Heinu, which is just a construct of Elohim Shalanu, our God. Why are there two names of God? Why in Shema? When we cover our eyes, Shema Shin, by the way, Shh, has the highest frequency, like the tzitzis, four directions. Mm, has lowest frequency. Shit. Mm, uh, is the eye in? That's the eye. To delve deep in. Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. You know when you click on the word Yisrael, you know what Rashi says there? He says, that's kind of ethnocentric. I mean, if there's really one God, why does it say Yisrael? It should be the whole world. What do the Jews think they're special? Rashi says this. Rashi says this on the word Yisrael. You ever thought about the Shema Yisrael is ethnocentric? Really, we, we should go back to our Reformed synagogues and say, um, Rabbi, we'd like to change it from Yisrael to, I don't know, the world. Yeah. Hero the world. Or hero nations. And why does it say Yisrael? And Rashi himself has the sensitivity to notice that it sounds ethnocentric. Why Yisrael? If this is the most important point of creation, that God is all there is, so then why is it Yisrael? You know what Rashi, he answers it. He doesn't just ask, he answers it. The answer is, is that it would freak them out. Like, you ever, you ever heard of like someone having like a bad trip? Because yeah. they're like freaked? Yeah. They were shown like way more than they could handle? Yeah. Rashi said they'd have a bad trip. Rashi said that the nations of the world until the end of days, when they'll start coming out with movies like The Matrix and and what was that other movie? Uh, oh, what was that other movie about the this being uh, this being just an, a simulation? Inception. Inception. And before they'll make all these movies, the Truman Show, also. the Truman Show, and Groundhog's Day, and Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey. Before they make all these movies, meaning meaning for the millennia, don't freak out the nations. And let them know this is all an illusion. Let them think it's real. Jews, Jews, Yisrael, have to always be walking around this place like, like it's just, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, think about the air between Ben and I right now. Like, Ben's there, I'm about six feet away. But is there really air? Is there really air? And is there any difference between how protons, neutrons, electrons go on in him and go on in me? The only difference between us is really, you know, just the combination of those protons, neutrons, electrons. You are totally one with everything. It's just a digital simulation. Zeros and ones? It's all ones, zero, ones and zeros. And think about it. Like, for just my voice right now. Is this English? This isn't English. This is math. I'm sending vibrations, like, for example, on my guitar, 440 is 440 oscillations per second of that A string. So right now I'm speaking to you at 440. It's hitting your eardrum, a tympanic membrane, at 440 oscillation, uh, beats per second. It's sending up the math digitally to your neurons. Your neurons, you have billions of them. They either fire or don't fire. Ones, zeros. Ones, zeros. And if you've heard English enough times in your past... So then you can understand me in real time. But I'm only speaking digitally to you. And all you're seeing is digital. All there is, is God. This whole world is just a digital simulation of divinity coming down from that. 
It gets much, much cooler. This is just our first class. <laughs> I teach every day here at three, and we just go on these crazy journeys. Because think about who are you really then? Who are you really? And that awareness, you know how you're aware you're aware right now? Like, are you all aware that you're aware? You know, that's mindfulness, being aware you're aware. Well, what's that? What is that awareness of you being aware? I know you being aware is, I can find that in your brain with a brain scan of what you're aware of. But you being aware that you're aware doesn't show up in a brain scan. It's not in you. It's part of the soul. In other words, this world is a holographic perfect projection of Elohim. And your body is an avatar for the soul. You're just a spirit in a material world. We are spirits in the material world. Our spirits in the material. We are spirits in the material world. Okay? You're just a spirit in the material world. Lined with pleasure sensors. You know? So like, oh, that's why craft beer, like IPAs, is just liquid God. <laughs> and when I'm sitting across from my wife at the Shabbos table, all our kids on the sides, maybe some guests, who is that lady over there based on Kabbalah, based on what is Elohim? She's God in the form of my wife and me. Did you know that Kabbalistically, I'm going to tell you a little secret in Kabbalah, that uh, at the moment in intimacy, I'm not going to get graphic here, but we're talking about the moment. When you get to the moment, the Kabbalists advise that you turn the lights off so that it's pitch black. Because who ultimately are you making love to? And now freak out on where God put the covenant. That's the Brit. That's the bris. The covenant's there. And therefore, and therefore, use it wisely. Oh use the covenant wisely. These are all about the bris. You understand? So that you're getting the ultimate pleasure of the physical and the transcendental. Meaning the fifth class pleasure is physical. First class pleasure is transcendental. And then you put it all together with the covenant with a person who you're, you're building a world with forever and it's really forever the souls are all coming around meeting each other we're all past life connected I'm positive my wife was my sister at one point it's just weird like the, the connection we have it's all just souls that are coming around together all from Sinai Converts, souls, the Kabbalists teach us converts, souls were at Sinai. Their souls were there, their bodies weren't. The Jews you meet, their bodies and souls were there. We're all just reincarnations of this incredible prophetic tribe to teach the world ultimately love. We're just here to teach the world love. That's it. And you're like, that's it? What do you mean? There's 55,000 laws, man. Teach love? What about all those other details? Yeah, there's a lot of details. But you want to know something? Intimacy comes with details. You want to just go into town and have some intimacy? No details. You want to get married with someone? Details. There's a lot of do's and don'ts. You want to ignore the do's and don'ts? 
not going to have much of a relationship. So, the, so when you want true intimacy, it comes with details. And the truth is, like, Jews are like, gee, we don't even need this much intimacy. Look what we have to suffer with anti-Semitism for our intimacy. And the answer is that once we got the Sinai, you know, full THX surround sound, Omnimax 3D LSD experience at Sinai, so then you, you got the intimacy on the ultimate level, it comes with the ultimate details, ultimate responsibility. That's why I like to say that the Gentiles of the world, God loves them. They are his girlfriend. But because of Sinai, because of getting everything, we're his wife. We're the wife. There's a big difference between a girlfriend and a wife. Girlfriend's limited liability. Wife, maximum liability. That's why we have to have a marriage contract. That's why you have to go through hell to get divorced. Because it's so complicated to be that intimate with someone over time. You have to, it has to be painful to get out. It has to be almost worse to get out than to stay in. And then maybe then you can break through all your stuff and grow together in the most incredible way, but you need no way out. Life works much better when you burn your bridges back to home, back to the comfort zone. That's a major digression. <laughs> You're all like, whoa. We are it. Is basically at this point, all you need to know now is IPAs are liquid gold. Okay? It's Sorry, liquid God. Liquid God. <laughs> liquid gold. Okay, it's liquid God. And, and so is music. So, for example, like, I'm scared that God will ask me upstairs why I drink lager when I could have drink, drunk craft beer. I'm also scared he's going to say, what's with the factory-installed stereo? Whenever I buy a car, I go to a studio, you meaning an a audio place, and we figure out what's going to be perfect. Because think about it. Has there ever been a speaker system that can duplicate the distinctions of sound that your natural ears can receive? No, nothing can do that. Nothing can do that. But we can do our best. We can do our best. So that God's not like, hey, listen, man, I was in that sound. I was in your eardrums. Like, I, I'm in that. And so, like, you went for the factory-installed stereo? Now, the truth is, today's car is, like, when you get a nice car, it comes with awesome stereos. And when, I, when I'm a passenger, like, I fly into JFK, and I, I'm flying into Mar too. When someone picks me up, oftentimes they're like, oh, Rebionto, can you please, uh, uh, what's the word, optimize my sound. I work in studios and stuff, so can you optimize my sound of my stereo? Because it's still, everything's on zero, you know, in the middle. Last step six, here we go, is that God... Oh, sorry, we were calling it it now. Going back to it. By the way, you notice that people call God he all the time? Yeah, as opposed to, we've been calling it it. You know why it's called he? Just to give you a quick mystical understanding, because this is universal in all mystical traditions. Um, the masculine is the causer. It's a causer, it's a, um, the word is mashpia. How do you say mashpia? What? A giver. It's the co- influencer, co- it causes. Like when a cement truck's pouring concrete, that's the max. That's the that's the masculine in in uh, mysticism. But the the wall form that they made out of wood, the structure that they're pouring the concrete into to make a wall, that's the what? That's the feminine. And this is all that's going on everywhere, always. This is the buttons on my vest. It's the window in the frame. 
the, the, the molten metal of the frame was the masculine at one point inside the, the mold that made the frame. And then when, and we are as human beings, we are, we're exactly both. It's funny, we all think women nurturing so womenly. It's manly. You're giving and giving and giving. That's the masculine. Is all the giving you do, all the giving my wife does to myself and to, to me and my children. That's all she's giving. And I have to remember, no, she's a woman. I have to give. So she receives. So she can be a receiver and really be in, the, in, in that mode. Which is easy to forget when you're busy, busy, busy. I have to make sure I give. Okay, so the last one is it ain't us. We are it, but it ain't us. Meaning, meaning after this class, I don't know, uh, what's your name? Sam. Sam could go down to the hotel. If you didn't hear step six, she goes down to the hotel and she's like, ladies and gentlemen, God has arrived. And her name is Sam. You know, and you understand, like, yeah. they, if you just had step six, so you might as well bow down to a chopstick because it's God. According to this class, the chopstick's God. You get that? So, like, well, everything's, Rabbi Glazer, everything's divine. So, like, hey, we're all going to worship, you know, this, this mineral water bottle. And the answer is no. It's an infinite being. Way beyond our wildest imaginations, what it, this being is. Managing every ant crawling up a tree in the Amazon right now. Managing that those ants will become available to an aardvark later. Managing every detail of your life and every detail of all the lives of the people that he's managing. He's managing all of this without even thinking about it because... He's creating it of himself. This is all. These are, we're like his limbs. These are the garments of the king. We're inside the garments. And just like you, don't, you can walk around without thinking much about your garments. God's doing all of this. We have no idea what we're talking about here. And this being has you totally, like completely inside your personal story and your development with every last detail and everything you're going through. And everything you're thinking about, everything you're saying, and everything you're doing, whoa. And the person next to you, orchestrating all of this for you. So this being is certainly not limited to us. It's not limited to us. It's infinitely beyond this place. And that's why the first commandment is that there's a God. The second commandment is, is but don't point to any one thing and ascribe power to it. Because everything is of God, it is not God. So we are it, but it ain't us. Got it? Okay, let's just review real quick. Here we go. Together. Before there was something, there was nothing. That nothing is what we call God. It's one. It's in some kind of intelligence. We are it. It ain't us. So I'm going to ask all of you just for one uh, action step. Is before you go to bed each night. I don't know if you know how to say Shema, whether you do or you don't, but before you go to bed each night while you're here in Israel, and maybe in the future, is to just take a moment, go into that oneness. If you don't know how to say Shema, maybe learn to. But before you, right before you're falling asleep, say Shema. We all do it, all my kids. Like just, I was with my nine-year-old last night, and he sat up in his bed. Shema Yisrael. 
Well, that's what Jews have done forever and ever. It's supposed to be the last thing you say before you die, if God forbid you're, someone's in a crisis. They'll say Shema. And I even have friends in Israel who had to fly back just to like, just to like help their grandmother say Shema because she never knew how. And flew back just to help her do that before she died. And, and when we go to sleep, who says you're going to wake up? So we say Shema before we go to sleep. So, so maybe make that an action step to remember these steps and, and live that divine space of Shema Yisrael Hashem, the expander, the expander, uh, <laughs> Elokeinu, the filler, Hashem Echad, it's all one. It's all one. It's the eminent and the imminent are uniquely and intimately bound up. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.